Hi, I'm Carmen LeBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LeBurge on Faith Radio. Good morning. It is the 20th of June, 2022. We talked in the opening of the first hour about what today is and what it means. So if you missed that, go grab the podcast at MyFaithRadio.com or wherever you download your podcast. You can also get the show notes, which means all the links to all the articles we're going to be discussing today, including the one from the Gospel Coalition with Sarah Zylstra in just a moment. Um, I want to touch on Father's Day. I know that Father's Day is now the day behind us, but um, it's always an opportunity for us to be grateful to God for who he is as our good, good father and to acknowledge the dads in our own lives. And yeah, I think that's a plural term, the dads in our own lives, the men who uh, have raised us, given us life, made us who we are, come alongside us, served as godfathers in all of the most positive senses of that term. So give a shout out to my dad, Larry Morton Fowler, who has been with the Lord since 1984, at least, you know, according to, you know, like based on my calendar, right? Not the Lord's calendar, but there you go. Um, and uh, my dad now, Ron Melzer, who married my mom 20 years ago. Shout out to um, to Ron as my dad. Lots of godly fathers along the way. Men who were neighbors and friends and coaches and young life leaders and professors and pastors and mentors. Um, in the same way that we need godmothers, we need godfathers. Like not in the Marlon Brando godfather kind of way, but in the godly father kind of way. So who do you godfather and who have your godfathers been along the way? And maybe today, yesterday being Father's Day, maybe today you could give a a godfather shout out to the men in your life who have um, walked humbly with the Lord and shepherded your soul at points in time. Um, And, you know, maybe they don't even know that. Maybe they don't know that that was... Uh, the way that you saw a particular time that they stood up or offered counsel or bailed you out or sheltered you or instructed you, counseled you, held you accountable, whatever, like, right? Um, Maybe reach out today to the godly men who have served as, you know, positive godfathers in your life. You you know, send them a text, give them a call, whatever. Thank God for them. And being a uh, being a dad, right, is a uh, is a divine calling, second only to um, being a husband. So you know, at creation, God makes us male and female, and then He gives to the man and the woman this creation mandate, calling them together in um, union, one flesh union, as man and woman, husband and wife, and then giving them this mandate to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That's that's the father mandate. Um, but there's a difference between like, right, being a biological father and, and, and actually being a dad, being a God father. Uh, the Bible is filled with all kinds of instructions for godliness. And, um, and to men, that includes the shepherding of the next generation and generation to generation. 
And so let me encourage you today um, that I think that we need an uprising of godfathers in America. Um, We need men, godly men, who will step in where other men have failed to answer the call of God in this way. So I want you to consider what that might look like for you in your own family generation to generation, in your church family, in your neighborhood, in your community, in your city, in your state, and in this nation. Godly men stepping up and stepping in where biological dads have disappeared or abandoned their post. I am am aware of single moms, and I am aware of uh, young men and women whose dads have failed them in one way or another. Um, and so I, I want to encourage you, uh, if you're a man and you're a, a a man after God's own heart, like step step up and step in. You know, Paul, the Apostle Paul never had kids of his own, but he's got plenty of sons and daughters in the faith. I'm thinking about Timothy in particular, um, but lots of others as well. Find, a, you know, f- find a person who needs a a dad in a godfather kind of way, and don't be shy. Like, tell them, God has called me as a man to step up and step in. You're going to need to assure them in advance that you have no predatory uh, intent, and you're going to need to guard that particular commitment fiercely. But we need you. We need godly men to step up where biological dads have disappeared or abandoned their post in our culture. So I'm looking for, you know, on this day after Father's Day, I'm looking for a movement of Godfathers. Would you be first? Would you, uh, would you step up to that plate? Sarah uh, Zystra is a, uh, a writer for the Gospel Coalition. I love the stories that she tells. She's going to bring us a hard story today, but a really important one. We're going to talk about grief in Ames, Iowa. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Sarah Zalstra is a senior writer and faith and work editor for the Gospel Coalition. She's also one of the co-authors of Gospel Bound, Living with Resolute Hope in an Anxious Age. Um, She's also editor of Social Sanity in an Insta World. You can find her at thegospelcoalition.org. Sarah, welcome back. Thank you so much for having me. You bring us such good and important stories, and I want to thank you for that. Talk with me um, this morning about... Um, the story out of Ames, Iowa, and maybe assume that um, listeners haven't heard the story um, yet. So, so take us, um, take us into the scene. Yeah. Um, I can even give you background on this, um, uh, probably more background than you want, because I wrote a story on this um, college campus ministry about six years ago, um, about 50 years ago, actually, there was a very tiny, small Baptist church in Iowa and they were seated next to Iowa state and they really wanted to a minister to the kids who were there. So they started a campus ministry and it grew so big it, that the, there was more college kids coming than there were members of their church. Um, and so what they did was they planted a church that could sort of um, take hold of running that campus ministry. That campus ministry is called the Salt Company. It is the largest church-based 
Um, they're always connected to a local church. So the largest church-based um, student ministry in the country. Um, and in the last 50 years, they have grown to thousands. They're now, even in the last six years, they expanded out of Iowa to 15 other states. So this is um, a gospel-centered local church rooted, um, really solid campus ministry. And it has been excellent. So I've been watching them for some time. Well, what happened about two and a half weeks ago, they just started their summer session. It was their first time of having their summer series. Um, and they were pulling kids into the church about, it was about, oh, I think seven or eight minutes before it was going to start. And two girls from Iowa state were in the parking lot who were going to come in. They were members, Christians, Christian girls who are members of this campus ministry. And as they did, um, the ex-boyfriend of one of them pulled up. Um, he had previously uh, been in trouble with the law for um, harassing this girl. She was 22 years old. And he pulled out a gun and he shot the ex-girlfriend. He shot her friend who was standing next to her, who was 21 years old, and he shot himself. Um, and so you can imagine the chaos and the grief. That was about two and a half weeks ago that that happened. So those services, those memorial services have taken place. And I've noted that at the gospelcoalition.org, you have a, um, you've got an article posted there as well from one of the leaders of the ministry of, uh, of the salt company, um, talking about, uh, those funerals, the three verses for the worst week of your life. If you're listening right mm-hmm. now and you want access to all of those, they're going to be in the show notes today. Um, so direct links to Sarah's piece as well as the piece that is um, posted about the services for these young women. Sarah, you know, I, I had to confess to you the um, the article that you have posted on grief, but not without hope is so precious. Um, And then I also think that as soon as you tell us that, you know, this is an ex-boyfriend, this is a person who had um, been known to be at some level a threat, you know, we immediately get into the conversation um, about the, the boyfriend loophole in, you know, in gun control laws and all kinds of things. So this is a very, very timely conversation to be having. Yeah. Yep, for sure. It is just, I did watch the service. I mean, I didn't know these girls at all, but when I watched the memorial service, I just cried through the whole thing. There is so much um, richness in the theology of suffering. And I think there's, in the horror of the moment, there's also a beauty to having a gospel-centered response. So to listen to a pastor who is weeping say, Jesus is weeping with us, but we are not staying here. Like God is real and we will see these girls again. And we believe in a, in resurrection of the body. Um, there was just a lot of, um, uh, beauty, even in the absolute horror of it. We're talking with Sarah Zylstra. We're going to continue this conversation. We are going to talk about, you know, the specific message, um, from the Cornerstone Church and from the Salt Company. We're going to talk about grief, but not without hope. This is a story from Ames, Iowa. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Continuing our conversation with Sarah Zalstra, you can read what Sarah's writing at thegospelcoalition.org. Sarah, I'm wondering as you, I mean, this is a grief to which you have attended, um, I want to talk a little bit about that, and I want to talk talk with you about some of the things that you um, you heard from Pastor Mark Vance um, and from others as you know as they're attending to this specific grief in Ames, Iowa, but also just this you know the attention that this focuses for those of us who are Christians. It gives us the ability to talk about the cross. 
For sure. Um, yes, I think um, Mark Vance's biggest point was that God is always with us. Um, and that's actually a point that even in the grief. And that's a point that's also picked up. There's a guy named Solomon Rexius who directs the salt company. He wasn't there when the shooting happened. He was across town coaching his son's baseball game, but he saw the sirens and he was getting so many calls. He hopped in his truck and raced over there after them. And he's really, I mean, these were his girls in his youth group. So he's really been wrestling with this too. And so actually Carmen Thursday, so about four days ago, whenever Thursday was, um, he, the salt company regathered for the first time. And he shared with them, God's promises do not have a weight limit. So like bridges have weight limits and trampolines have weight limits and bicycles and skateboards have weight limits, but there is no weight limit to the promises of God. You can lean all your weight, no matter how immensely heavy it is on those promises. God will be with you. He said one thing he kept going through his mind when he was racing over there is like, Jesus is already there. Jesus is already there. Um, so whatever God, whatever you're going through, certainly Jesus is already holding you. So that's a promise you can lean all of the, all of your weight on. I love that. I also, um, just acknowledge in the midst of that, that showing up matters. Mm. Like, you know, Jesus is already there, but for so many people, when the person who they recognize as like the God representative, whoever that is, the youth pastor, the pastor, the friend, like, right. But until that person gets there, the physical like incarnated presence feels like it's not there. And so I want to really encourage people that part of our, our inclination as Christians to run toward those who are weeping and suffering and in grief. That is the, that is the spirit of the living God manifest inside you, driving you to be the Jesus person. Because for a lot of people, even though yes, Christ is present, Jesus is already there until you show up with some skin on people don't necessarily feel it. And so I, I just want to encourage that as well. And because he was manifesting that he, as he's driving across town, mm-hmm. right? He's manifesting mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. He's acknowledging in his own heart that Jesus is already there. And yet he's driving as fast as he can to to be there and be the incarnate presence. I, I 100% agree with you. I love what you're saying. And I think what underscores that is when I talk to some of the people who are there, they're saying our whole community feels like we're in this together. And so what makes it difficult is like, who's going to watch the kids? Who's going to bring the meals? Like when your whole community is, is just shocked by this at the same time, um, it's harder to find the people who would rush in and help. I'm not saying they're not there. They're doing it for each other. And certainly people from the outside are helping them as well. But it underscores like when someone is down, usually it's the people around them, those Christ followers around them who can bring some food, who just sit by them, right? Just be there um, and just put your arm around them. Let them cry. Just let them sit in silence, offer to pray, even just those small things. You are absolutely right. That is you incarnating Christ. All right. If you're listening right now and you're like within, you know, physical striking distance of, of Ames, Iowa, um, I want you to consider, like, you know, make dropping off some paper goods, um, mm-hmm. dropping off some uh, some Grubhub gift cards, like, right, something mm-hmm. that even if um, even if you don't know anyone directly affected, 
you're you're a Jesus person and you're within striking distance of this ministry and an opportunity to reach out and man- manifest the love of Christ um, to these students and those who are working with these students and their families. And so, you know, let me just say there's uh, you can be a part of like the casserole caravan without actually <laughs> making a casserole. In this case, like I, I think, Sarah, what you're pointing out is so important when everybody in the community is affected the larger community, the larger body of Christ needs to respond um, in very specific and tangible ways. Yep. Yep. I think that's true. And there's just, there's a light in that, that you're, that you're kind of trusting for them. You're carrying the light for them in this, in this time of darkness. Sarah, um, as always, such a delight to catch up with you. What, um, you know, cause we like to know, what are you working on? What are you, you know, (laughs) what's uh, what's up on the screen right now? Yeah, I know. So, you know, this social sanity book is coming out. So I've really been thinking about that. Um, not only there's actually two giant parts to that. One is just social sanity for women who are our age, but there's also a, a whole part of social media that's affecting younger women, Gen Z women. And Carmen, that's a totally different story. Um, hmm. it, it matters how old you were when you first got on social media. Are you going to answer my question um, in this in this uh, in this book? Are you going to answer my question about whether or not I should delete all my social accounts? Because I, mean, I should, toy with that. You should. I did it two months ago. Um, <gasps> yeah, hmm. I deleted all of them: Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And I have never been more attentive and felt like I have time. I'm less anxious. Um, I feel like I'm um, better able to send up quick prayers to the Lord. I don't know if it made me a better writer, but I can tell you with a certainty that getting off social media made me a better mom and a better wife um, and a better Christian. Okay. Are you going to come talk with us about social sanity in an instant yeah. world? Oh, good. Yeah. Oh, I would good. love to do that. Oh, yeah. good. Oh, good. Okay. So um, if you want to check it out before we get there, uh, you can pre-order it. I just looked. Social sanity in an Insta world. Um, Sarah Zylstra is one of uh, not only the authors, but editor as well. Social media can be both a delight and a disaster for women who want to love God and love our neighbors. So we're going to, um, wow, I'm really looking forward to that conversation. Sarah, Me thank too. you so much. You guys can read what Sarah is writing in the meantime at the Gospel Coalition, gospelcoalition.org. All the links to today's articles that we've discussed are going to be in the show notes for Mornings with Carmen. Sarah, thank you and blessings. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. We'll be right back. What is a woman? We ought to be able to answer that question in a very, very straightforward way. We also ought to be able to answer the question, what is a man? We ought to be able to answer the question, what is a human being? We ought to be able to answer the question, what is life and who is the giver of it? We ought to be able to answer a lot of questions that the culture is asking today. Um, But we have a lot of confusion across many of those topics. Why is that? Well, it's because our... um, Our minds are conformed to something other than the revealed word of God. And our worldview is aligned with something other than uh, what God has said in the Bible and who God has revealed himself to be. And then uh, in reflection of that, who we are then revealed to be. And so you're going to hear me constantly make the appeal to be in the word of God. But then we need to 
adopt the mind of Christ on the matters of the day, and that is the cultivation of a genuinely biblical worldview. That's a conversation about apologetics, how we see the world and then how we live in it and how we engage the world from a Christian worldview. Nobody does it better than Doug Gruteis, and he joins us next, Christian Apologetics. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge, and this is Faith Radio. Now I'm a Privileged to be joined today by Dr. Uh, Douglas Grothaus. Uh, you can you can find him uh, as a professor of philosophy at Denver Seminary. He's the author of numerous books, including Philosophy in Seven Sentences, Unmasking the New Age, Truth Decay, one of my favorites, even though it's one of his older ones. Um, but today he's joining us with the second edition of Christian Apologetics, a comprehensive case for biblical faith. Uh, Dr. Groteis, thank you so much for being here with us. Well, thank you. I appreciate you having me. Absolutely. So when we talk about Christian apologetics, let's just start with a very, very basic question. What are we talking about today when we're talking about not just apologetics, but expressly Christian apologetics? Right. The word apologetics is not all that commonly used outside of Christian circles. In fact, it's often used negatively. So you might say, well, that person is just an apologist for uh, the cigarette industry or an apologist for this or that. But really, it just means to give a defense or to make a case. And we take it from the Apostle Peter in First Peter, First Peter 3.15, where he says to always be ready to give a defense for what you believe, have an answer to anyone who asks you. So apologetics means defending Christianity as objectively true, compellingly rational, and relevant to the whole of life. That's my definition. But essentially it means to defend the Christian faith rationally. So when we talk about objectively true, compellingly rational, um, and applicable to every aspect of life, um, you know, you're talking about a holistic worldview, um, and I appreciate that very, very much. I also appreciate how you frame this entire conversation in response to the despair of the world um, and Christianity offering substantial and real hope. Right. That's how I begin the book, is I ask the question, is there hope for the universe? And that's about as big of a question as you can get. So it means, is there meaning to life? Does history have a purpose? Is there an ultimate meaning to life? Those kinds of questions. So I wanted to make it existentially pertinent. And sometimes we can avoid these questions, such as, is there a God? Is there an afterlife? Is there a good way to live, a way of wisdom and purpose? And my answer over those 800 pages is yes. And we need to ask those questions, and we need to pursue answers diligently. And the Christian answer is that that the universe was created by a good and personal God, and that God is the Lord of all things. We are made in His image and likeness, 
Nevertheless, we have been corrupted by sin. So we have in Genesis 1 and 2 the creation, and the basic patterns for life, and then Genesis 3 is the fall, where human beings turn against God and experience the results of that, or banished from the garden, and life is under the curse. But God did not leave us in that condition. He continued to reveal himself in nature, and actually we're made in the image and likeness of God, so to some extent we reveal something of God just by existing uh, as rational, creative, relational beings. He sent the prophets, he formed a nation for himself, Israel, and through that nation promised a coming Messiah or Deliverer, who is Jesus Christ. So that's, in a sense, the Christian story, that Christ came to live the life we could not live and to die for us, to rise from the dead, to give us that hope that the universe has meaning and that we have meaning and that, moreover, through the suffering of Christ, we can find meaning in suffering and we can prevail. That doesn't mean we're going to see every disease healed or every financial problem solved, but we can live a meaningful life in light of the the deep struggles and problems that we face. And that's something I added to the second edition. I have a chapter called Lament as Christian Apologetic, and briefly what that means is that Scripture gives us a way to suffer well before the face of God, that is, through the sufferings of Christ, we can find redemption. So suffering can have meaning. It's not something that we just ignore or want to get through as soon as possible, possible necessarily. But if we keep a focus on God and serving Him and remember that we're called to deny ourselves, take up our cross daily and follow Him, then we can find meaning and we can find a meaning that no other religion or philosophy can possibly give us, and not just the objective truth and the psychological insights, but actually the presence of God in our midst, within us, to comfort us, console us, give us the stamina uh, emotionally to get through the toughest times. We need to take a brief uh, pause from our conversation with uh, with Dr. Douglas Groteis, and we are going to be right back. The, con- the conversation continues. Christian Apologetics, a comprehensive case for biblical faith. Not just why Christianity is objectively true, rational, and significant, but an exhortation um, to be people who walk that faith out into the world that God so loves. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Continuing now our conversation with Professor Douglas Groteis about his book, Christian Apologetics, A Comprehensive Case for Biblical Faith. Um, Dr. Groteis, I'd love to talk with you about hell and why um, hell still matters. Um, We live in a cultural context where people would very much like to believe that there is no sin and certainly there is no hell. Um, why, Why is hell important in the Christian apologetics conversation today? It is for many reasons. For one reason, there's a movement out there called progressive Christianity, 
And I don't know why the the bad guys always get the good words, you know, how (laughs) the people that have made major mistakes, you know, they're progressive. I guess I'm regressive and you're regressive. But the idea is, well, we've moved beyond that and we can still follow Jesus, but we certainly don't want to take literally what what he said about eternal torment or gnashing of teeth and all that. And my response to that is we are beholden to the truth. And C.S. Lewis said, if you're absolutely happy with all your beliefs, you're probably deluded in some areas because reality pushes back against us. And uh, hell is not my favorite doctrine, but it was taught by my Lord, our Lord, Jesus Christ. He warned people about it. He came to save us from it through all his achievements, his atoning sacrifice, his resurrection from the dead, and so on. And Let's be very direct about it. I don't want my friends and family members to miss out on the grace of God. I don't want them to have to pay the penalty for their own sin eternally. I want them to turn to Christ as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So I have an appendix in the book called What About Hell, where I try to explain the teaching and I defend it against some Uh, charges uh, made famously by C.S. Lewis in his essay, Why I'm Not a Christian. So I don't have a a gigantic chapter on that, although this is part of the Christian message that God is equally loving and just. And so we see the love and justice of God in the cross of Christ because God so loved the world, he sent his son, son, and the the son came to us He was not content to stay with the Father and the Spirit. He came as a servant, willingly. This is not just divine child abuse, as progressive Christians say. He came to atone for our sins. So that required a death. That required someone paying the penalty, uh, someone paying the price, someone taking the punishment that we deserve. And that someone is only Jesus Christ. He has uh, the credentials to back that up. And he was declared the Son of God with power through his resurrection from the dead, as Paul says in Romans 1. Mm. That's so good. It's so helpful. Um, One last question, and I'm going to let you um, spend some time roaming around in this answer because it's a a big subject matter category. Um, And that is this conversation about the Christian worldview. I'm thinking here about chapter three of the book. Um, And you, you actually talk about like how um, how we would look at a system and understand it in terms of, you know, whether or not it's a religion, whether or not it's an operational or functional worldview. Um, and I'm not sure that I had ever, like, seen the list of sacred narrative, doctrine, ritual, social and institutional expression, experience, and ethics. And mm-hmm. the reason that it captures my attention is that, you know, I— I interact with a lot of people who would use the term Christian to describe themselves, but they are uh, not necessarily um, adhering to a sacred narrative that uh, I receive. They don't share the same doctrine. They don't participate in the rituals. Um, their their social and institutional expressions are not um, what I would call distinctively Christian. And certainly the walking of the faith out in life in terms of experience and ethics is um, is not historically Christian. And so help help me here, because I find these categories 
of um, of evaluation very helpful. And I'm wondering if that's part of the genius of including it here. Right. I got those categories from a philosopher of religion named Minion Smart. And my book really emphasizes more the sacred narrative or the worldview. I do talk about the other elements. For example, I added a chapter in the second edition called In Defense of the Church. Mm-hmm. And I realized that a lot of most Protestant books on apologetics don't defend the Church. And of course, most Roman Catholic apologetics books do. So what I do is I go from the credentials and achievements of Christ and say, well, he said, uh, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So if Jesus is the divine, crucified, resurrected, ascended Messiah, then I think we need to belong to the organization that he started. So it's not just a, a matter of I have warm feelings towards Jesus, or I am spiritual but not religious, we really need to commit to the things that Jesus wants us to be committed to, and that is his body, the body of Christ. There's so many uh, metaphors used in Scripture for Christians, and they all have this element of life together, worshiping together, um, confessing the faith together, and so on. So I give an apologetic for the Church, and of course the Church should stand on the Bible and believe what the Bible says, teach it, preach it, defend it. So I give an apologetic for the Church, and then I also say the Church is an apologetic. So Jesus said, by this will all people know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So even in the messiness of the Church, we should try to speak the truth in love, and confess our sins and work for the common good and then bring the church out into the world to fulfill the Great Commission. And, you know, talk is cheap. And people might say, I'm a Christian, and sounds good so far, and you don't want to be overly suspicious. But it's good to poke a little bit and say, oh, when did you become a Christian? Or what do you mean by Christian? Because a lot of people use that term, I'm interested so I like John the Baptist. He's kind of an odd character, but I'm kind of drawn to the, the misfit prophets in the Bible, you know, like Jeremiah and John the Baptist, and in a sense, even Jesus, although, of course, he's sinless and perfect. But John the Baptist said, bear fruit worthy of repentance. Mm. So if we say that we're followers of Jesus, then however imperfectly we deny ourselves, take up our cross daily, follow him, and we want to have a reason for the hope that is within us, and we want to lead lives of real radical love, where love means something. There's this saying, love is love, which means anytime you're attracted to anyone else, erotically, and they consent, anything you do is fine. Mm. Good night. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13 says, love does not rejoice in what is wrong. So love needs to have a framework. Mm-hmm. and a context, and work within uh, a worldview. And Christianity is many things, but one way to address it and defend it philosophically is to consider uh, these questions, like what is the ultimate reality? Who are we as human beings? Uh, what is the right way to live? Where is history going? And so on. Who is Jesus? I have my student 
at Denver Seminary for their apologetics class interview a non-Christian. And I have my students ask those questions. And if I have time just for a brief story, um, one of my two of my students actually went to a Hindu religious ceremony. And it was just a few people there. And they said to the woman who was leading it, it was a fire ceremony. They said, well, um, we came here for an assignment. And I think you like to talk to our professor. He's knowledgeable mm. and personable. So I was able to set up a meeting uh, with a woman about my age. I'm 65. And she uh, was really converted to a Hindu worldview way back in the 70s through transcendental meditation. And we had a wonderful conversation about her beliefs. Her son was there also. We were at a coffee shop in Denver. And it it summed up where her son said, my guru says Jesus was the greatest guru of all time, but I don't know much about him. Could you tell me about mm. him? Mm. I thought, no, I, no, I'm busy. I have to go home now. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, I wish people asked me this every day of the week. Amen. So this assignment uh, led to uh, me being able to explain and defend a bit my Christian convictions, but while being very respectful and listening to theirs. And it just was a a one-off meeting, although I did follow up with some emails, and I sent the woman a, a book I'd written, which responds to uh, a New Age or a basically Hindu view of Jesus. So this is this is exciting. This is yeah. interesting. And, yeah. and even if it isn't, it's a duty that we have. We don't live by our nerve endings, you know. Hmm. Some of our Christian witness is just tough, hmm. and we do it anyway. I'm so thankful, um, uh, Dr. Uh, Dr. Grotice, that you are in the world. I'm so glad that you're a Christian. I'm so glad that you're equipping um, Christian young people and leaders uh, for the next generation. And I'm so grateful for the book. The book is Christian Apologetics. It's the second edition, A Comprehensive Case for Biblical Faith. Um, InterVarsity Press is the publisher. Um, that's all the time we have here today on Mornings with Carmen. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, you are welcome. You gave a very good interview. Thank you. There's so many headlines that we could uh, discuss today as we apply the mind of Christ to the matters of the day. Um, FINA, which is swimming's world governing body, has voted to restrict the participation of people who identify as transgender, biological men who want to compete in women's events. Um, that is that is leading headline news uh, across the sports world and something to be aware of. It gives us the opportunity as Christians, again, to talk about um, something as self-evident as what is a man and what is a woman. And I think that it is an, an opportunity for us to bring clarity to a conversation um, where there is great confusion in the culture today. Um, another uh, headline that you're going to uh, hear about and possibly read today and may want to be prepared to discuss. So you're familiar with uh, Herschel Walker. You're familiar with him um, because he is like a football great. He right? was. Right? He was. Yeah, absolutely. Well, he's also a candidate for um, the U.S. Senate in um, in the state of Georgia, and um, 
you know, and he's been lifted up um, by folks on the political right and and including folks of faith. Um, and then there is this uh, maybe revelation uh, would be a good word for it, um, that he fathered three children that he had not previously publicly discussed. And so he's been very public uh, about his uh, criticism of men who don't take responsibility for their children. He's talked about fatherlessness. He's talked about the challenges that particularly African-American families um, face across the country in relationship to um, fatherlessness. And and so the revelation that he has three children um, that he had not previously disclosed is, a, is going to be an interesting um, storyline. And, um, and I think that, uh, it's, it's an interesting conversation, um, to talk about the way we support those who do have children out of wedlock, um, and the way that we value life and the way that we say, hey, um, we recognize that, um, Families are constructed in ways that are not always uh, exactly as, you know, God would want. But I'm thankful that he's supporting his kids and I'm thankful that his kids have a relationship with him. The fact that you and I didn't know about it, you know, I don't know. Does that matter? Does that matter to you? Um, And so that's a conversation I think to um, to acknowledge is happening and one that is probably going to come up in the conversations of the day um, around you as well. The um, the storylines related to not only church shootings, but the shootings of people who are in close uh, or even former domestic relationships of one kind or another, intimate partners is the language that you're going to hear used. You're also going to hear the language of boyfriend loophole. And all of those storylines are related to the conversation that we had with Sarah Zalstra about the shooting at the church in Ames, Iowa. And so um, I want you to know about that today. I want you to think about the way that those storylines are all woven together and interconnected. Um, the shooting that took place at the church in Orange County, uh, California, a few weeks back. That shooter's um, charges have now been federally enhanced to include hate crimes. We're also remembering the anniversary of the shooting in Charleston at the Mother Emanuel Church. This is an opportunity for us to talk about um, gun culture in America and the culture of life, which is the culture that you and I as Christians need to be standing for and upholding. All right, it's great to be back with you. I've missed you. I love you. You can text me anytime, 877-933-2484. This is Mornings with Carmen. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at myfaithradio.com.